Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Welcome here to Faith Community Church. We're glad you're here. We're going to have a great day today. I want to read from God's Word here. I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 46, beginning in verse number 3, partway through verse number 3. And listen to this. This is a powerful passage here that will, I think will be a, just a, a mountain of encouragement. It says, before, it says, I created you and I've cared for you since before you were born. I will be your God through your lifetime until you halt is white with age. I made you and I will care for you and I will carry you along and save you. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and gold and hire a craftsman to make a god from it. Then they bow down and they worship it. They carry it around on their shoulders, and when they set it down, it just stays there. It cannot even move. And when somebody prays to it, there is no answer. It has no power to get anyone out of trouble. Do not forget this. You are guilty. And do not forget the things I've done through you throughout all of history, for I am God, and I alone. I am God, and there's no one else like me. Only I can tell you what is going to happen even before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. What a powerful word that speaks of the power and the majesty of God. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for giving us this time. We come into this place with a specific purpose to worship you and to hear from you and to rejoice and to fellowship with you and with one another. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus today <coughs> that you will be truly speaking into people's hearts and into people's lives. Help us to understand that it is not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord, that you speak into people's lives, you speak into their hearts, you speak about their past, their present, and their future. Father, we thank you that this word is going to be revealed to us this morning. We are going to open our hearts, open our minds up unto you so that you can communicate very clearly to us. And so, Father, we thank you today. Let the people of God rejoice in this place. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to... Uh, Romans chapter 6. I'm jumping away from my, my um, summer series in Colossians, and for this reason and this reason only. Uh, I felt earlier this week, I just uh, felt a very strong prompting of God. Matter of fact, we were in a small group on Monday night, and uh, just uh, felt like the Lord really spoke to me in that small group. And, and I was grabbing for a pen and some kind of scrap of paper to write down the three things that I felt like the Lord was telling me. And I want to share those with you today. And um, I've learned in ministry over the years that uh, when God does those sort of things, you better pay attention. And uh, I think this is something that's just been, this is a real burden that's uh, been a part of my heart and life. And I just, I felt like I've lived this this week. And I want to share it with you today, uh, beginning in Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read that text in a little bit. I want to start out with, a, with an illustration here that comes to us from some time ago. 
but a lawyer in Texas had a client who had become very wealthy. He had bought a piece of uh, large tract of land in southwest Texas, and once you know it on that land, there was oil. So a number of functioning, pumping oil wells. Uh, this was a single man. Uh, he had never married, and uh, as he aged and everything, he, you know, he became very wealthy, and he passed away, but unfortunately, very unfortunate, he did not have a will. Uh, he had a sister that lived in Philadelphia, and it was discovered this sister had also passed away, but she had a son, and uh, the son had become a beggar, a man that lived on the streets, lived under bridges. You've seen them in cities, and, and they just barely, uh, barely survive, barely get along. And so the Texas lawyer contacted a, an attorney in Philadelphia to do some background and try to find out if this was a legitimate error. And, it, and he found out that it was. It was the only error they could find. And so the attorney contacted this beggar and uh, who would eventually inherit well over $30 million worth of an estate. And that continued to grow also. And he contacted this beggar who is the rightful owner now. And uh, the man said, you are worth all of this money and right now there's already deposited in an account that has been set up for you over a million dollars, and it's yours to spend as you wish. Now this man was the typical street person that we've seen. Bad clothes, probably hadn't had a whole lot of hygiene connected with that, ate uh, whatever he could find and whatever a shelter would provide for them. In the summertime, he slept under bridges and things like that. And all of these things, all of these things that we might typically know and understand. His condition was one of a beggar, a street person. But his position, his position was that of a millionaire. Now I want to listen, I want you to listen very carefully in how you approach these things because there's a point to be made here and I want to make it very clear. I want to apply this simple story to what Christ has done for us on the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he prepared a wonderful estate for every person in this room who knows Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life. A part of this estate is that he has included pardon and peace and purity and power. He's given you prosperity. He's given you hope. He's given you heaven. He's given you a future. All of these things that Christ has provided for you. We were the beggars. We were the down and outers. We were the people that walked around in the smelliness of our sin and the ugliness of that sin. 
We were those people. And there was a time in our life in which the Holy Spirit opened our mind and our heart to respond to Christ and his amazing grace that was offered to us without charge, just like this beggar who was suddenly a man without any money and now a multi-millionaire. That's what Christ did for us. Jesus Christ gave us all of this and, and far much more. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessing, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. Now there's two lines of conduct here, and I've seen them both. I've made, I have coffee with a guy from time to time in Humboldt. And this man is worth probably somewhere in the neighborhood of four to six million dollars. And yet he comes into the restaurant in these old ratty blue jeans that are just riddled with holes and patches. Just the junkiest looking guy. He's got, always seems to wear this Alabama Crimson Tide sweatshirt that's just frayed around the edges and torn, and he puts on, you know, duct tape to patch it. I mean, he looks like, he looks like a guy that you just say, can I buy you a hamburger? You know, you must be hungry. Yet he's a multimillionaire. The proper action for the beggar would be to clean up and get some new clothes, wouldn't it? Maybe find a decent home. Leave his old haunts. Who wants to live under a bridge? Who cares? Who's interested in living in a cardboard box? And those sort of things. Establish some friendships and new life. Transformation that can take place. Let me read my text beginning in chapter 6 of, uh, of Romans, beginning in verse 11. <clears throat> the Bible says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ the Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. You are under grace. This is big. I think I could honestly preach for a month on this, but I'm only going to preach for a few minutes today. I put an outline, a little bit of an outline in your church bulletin to help you to follow along here, but I want us to understand many things. I feel prophetic this morning. I feel like this is a prophetic word to this congregation. The normal life for a Christian is a life of growth in Christ. It is a pathway that God has traced out for every one of us. There's no exception to this. There's nobody that God has said, when you achieve this point in your Christian walk, you can relax, take it easy, stop right there, sit down, and coast on out. There's not one person here 
that, Christ, that God has given that kind of a mandate. Not one. We are in a process of growth in our lives. And that process continues on until we meet the Lord himself. A major portion of that answer, we, instead of choosing to act like a beggar, and when we have title to millions, that's what God has given us. I want, to, I want to parse some words out here that are incredibly important to us this morning. And the first word is found in verse 11. And I circle this and underline this in my Bible. It's the word reckon. It means to, to act upon a set of facts. Despite any surrounding difficulties or any surrounding obstacles, I reckon, I reckon. It's the light switch in the middle of the barn situation. When I was a little boy, I always, uh, you've heard me say this before, I was always trying to help my dad, and I was his shadow and all of these things, just, I was doing everything with him. And we had a barn on our farm, and we had some livestock and some things like this, and, and uh, <clears throat> I would help dad with the chores early in the morning, doing different little things and all kinds of stuff, and, and, and I'd always go into the barn. There was a light switch that I needed to turn on in that barn, it was like from here to that organ. And I would walk over there inside the barn and flip that switch on and some lights would come on, okay? However, in the winter, it was dark. And I would get to the door and dad say, go in and get the uh, lights on, would you? And I, you know, I didn't want to go in. Because I, I wasn't quite sure what was in there. I, I kind of figured, you know, I had quite an amount, and I did, a, I did an enormous amount of reading as a kid. I'm not kidding. And I figured there was probably some T-Rexes in there. <laughs> and I'm not going to, you know, I'm telling you. And there had to be snakes in the barn. And, and there had to be probably a skunk. I don't know. I, all of this was running in my head. Dad said, it's okay. There's nothing in there. Here, I'll go with you. And Dad would walk with me. We'd, and sure enough, nothing there. Flip on the switch. We're fine. No T-Rex. Well, one day, Dad said, go turn on the light. And you know what? I stood at the doorway, and I said, I'm going to turn on the light. And I walked in, and I found the pole, flipped the switch. I was cautious. I was a little bit wary. I wasn't too sure of this whole deal, but I decided to do it anyway. I decided I'm not going to be, I, I'm not, I'm going to act, I'm going to act as if I am not afraid. Now you let that one sink in a little bit. Let it sink in. By saying that, Ladies and gentlemen, I do not believe that faith is any kind of self-hypnosis. Self I believe faith, true faith, acts on the supernatural. And it gets supernatural results. When I pray for somebody who is sick, I'm praying in a supernatural sense. Because I can't heal that person. There's no way I can do that. I'm praying 
in the supernatural, expecting a supernatural act of God. That's faith. Nothing else is. Nothing else is going to be. It's not natural for people to live above pride. It's not natural for people to live above arrogance or, or lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes or any of these other things. It would be very difficult for me to believe this morning that there would be one saved person in the house today who did not want to live above the warfare of life and walk in victory. Even though you're saved, you are still subject to the weaknesses and even the temptations of sin. God, this doesn't remove the temptation. It helps us to have victory over the temptation. See, there's a difference. It doesn't do that. Put your finger in, in Romans chapter uh, 7 here and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just real quick, we're going to read something here that actually you have heard probably before on many occasions, but it's found in chapter 10 and verse 13. And I want, to, I want to help you on this thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, says this. No temptation has overtaken you except as such is common with man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape so that you might bear it. A way of escape. And that way of escape is actually found in my text right here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. The way of escape is to reckon yourself dead to sin. Dead. Dead people do not sin. Right? I've never seen them sin, and I've stood by the caskets of a lot of them. They're pretty quiet. They're not sinning. They're not cussing. They're not lusting. They're not, none of that's going on. Why? Because they're dead. And God says something that's very important here in this text. He says, you are dead to sin. That's, folks, if that doesn't sink into you, you are forever going to be struggling with issues in your life. You will always be struggling. You will always. You will never get a victory over a sin, over thoughts, over whatever it is that, that wants to corral you and cage you up. I am dead to sin. And I need to reckon that. I need to, I need to accept that. I need to acquire that. I need to activate that in my life and make it real in my life. Because I'm dead to sin but I'm alive to Christ. Many years ago, in the midst of a Latin, one of these Latin American revolutions, and they kind of have those on a fairly frequent, regular basis down there, an American citizen was captured and sentenced to death. He was to die in front of a firing squad. And this firing squad had assembled. The man was tied to a a, a pole, and an American officer ran in and had a very large American flag and draped it over the victim, or the, or the person that was to be executed. And he turned to the officer of the firing squad and said, if you shoot this man, 
you will be firing through an American flag which will provoke an entire nation to come against you. And with that, the soldiers drop back. We are not going to do this. In Paul's day, it was a little different. In Paul's day, the term was civitas romanus. I am a citizen of Rome. And I'm going to tell you something. That meant something in that day. Paul proved that out in, I think it was in Acts chapter 20, 22. When he was in Jerusalem, boy, they got all upset at Paul's ministry. And, and so they're fired up. They've, they've drug him out. We're going to whip this guy. And, uh, and we're going to severely beat on him. And Paul said that he was civitas romanus. And boy, they backed up right now. Because you see, a Roman citizen in those days, wherever he was, whatever he was doing, he was a Roman citizen, and you don't touch a Roman citizen. Do you see the analogy that rolls in here off of this? I am a citizen of Christ. A citizen of Christ. I need, uh, Pastor Russ is going to volunteer for me. And, uh, see how that works? Hey, Brett, would you help? Would you, could you help me? I need somebody. You got a good strong arm, don't you? I think you do. Here, I, why don't you stand over there, Pastor Russ? Come on over here, Brett. Brett Larson. This could just propel your career into it. <laughs> Now, see, Russ is going to hold this, uh, you know, I would hold it up maybe a bit higher, but, but uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I want you to take one of these, uh, these are, we don't have any fiery darts here in the church. Could come up with the fiery darts. Golf balls are going to have to do. Go ahead. Just throw it right at him. Heave it in there. Heave it. Look at that. See, what happened? The fiery dart, which is a golf ball, did not hurt Pastor Russ at all. Try it again. See if you can get through this time. <laughs> not, still not working, is it? Go ahead. This is good. Give it one more. Last fiery dart. Okay. See, nothing really worked out, did it? Thank you, Brett. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pastor Russ. <laughs> Amen. Later on, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, I want you to take the shield of faith so that you can defend yourself against the fiery darts of the devil. Now, what does that mean? That means that I've got to pick, he had to pick that up, didn't he? God didn't hold that in front of Pastor Russ. You have to pick it up. Where in the world do we get this idea that because I'm a Christian, that, okay, I'm standing out here, go ahead, devil, take your shot. Well, he'll take your shot, all right. And he's going to deck you. But I need to put on the full armor of God, don't I? 
And it would have been nice if he had had the helmet of salvation on top of his head there, because I noticed that when the fiery dart was coming in, he went, <laughs> and I don't blame you either. Not sure about your, uh, you know. Thank you, Brett. Good arm, good arm, good arm. Have you ever heard the phrase dead reckoning? I know a lot of people who go through life dead reckoning. I know people who drive their cars that way. Dead reckoning is sort of a term used by mariners. And basically, it's an estimation of where the ship is. And, uh, and they, they have no astronomical uh, uh, calculations or anything, but they say, you know what, I, I think the harbor that I want to go through is kind of right over there. That's called dead reckoning. Now, it, now, let's face it. It's not that the harbor moved, but the dead reckoning people might have got it wrong, too. And that's a problem. As a believer, I do not run by dead reckoning. I run by the word of God. This is the true compass. This is the course for your life. This is what is always going to be true, reliable. It's going to give you not just an idea where you are. It's going to tell you exactly where you are. Not just sort of in the neighborhood. It's going to tell you exactly where you are. And it's going to tell you exactly what God says. I'd like you to do this. And this is, since I created you, I know all about you. I invented you. And so I know how it works. I know how you work, and if you'll follow this thing, I'm going to give you success in your life. I'm going to, I'm going to provide in your life the necessities and things that care. I want to read verses 13 and 14, but this time instead of my Bible, I'm going to read it from the Eugene Peterson's message translation. I think this is rich. You're going to love this. It says, that means you must not give, a sin, give sin a vote in any way. Conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Did you hear me? Don't run a little errand. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. <clears throat> That's where we live today, folks. We live in the freedom of God. Not under an old law. Not under an old program. We live in Christ. Christ is our shield. Christ is our fortress. Christ surrounds us. Now turn about one page over in your Bible to Romans chapter 7. And <clears throat> I want to read beginning in verse 24. This is a, I tell you what, verse, chapter 7 is kind of a downer. When you begin reading chapter 7, by the time you're about midway through it, you're going to say, oh man, I, I, let's get to the end of this thing quick. Because it is kind of a downer. Paul is comparing his life. Paul is doing, I, I, I just, I thank God that this chapter is in here. Because it is so refreshingly true of our own lives so many times we, we, we look out and we say, how can, I, how can I do this? How can I live victoriously? How can I live above this sin? That's really got me. 
That's really working on me. And then we get to verse 24, and it sounds like, oh man, it sounds like we're about ready to drive off the edge of the cliff here. It says, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25 gives us the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ the Lord. So with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let me walk through this just a little bit. Let me give you a theological term here. It's in your notes. It's called substitutionary atonement. Now that's kind of a mouthful, I admit. And it may, yeah, you may first glance say, oh, man, what's that all mean? Well, let me, give you the, let me give you the Reader's Digest version on that one. Substitutionary atonement simply means that Jesus stepped in between the wrath of God and the sinner who deserved the wrath. In other words, he substituted himself. He stepped in the line of fire of the wrath that was heading my way. And the Bible says Jesus took it all on the cross. He took it all, every bit of it. It was aimed at me. I deserved it. I had earned it because of my sinful life, but Jesus took it all. Jesus absorbed our guilt, our shame, our penalty, all of these things. All of that's negative stuff, but let me tell you some positive stuff that Jesus did when he substituted himself for us. Here it is. He also put God's righteousness in us. Did you hear me? His righteousness, the righteousness of God. He accepted us. He sealed us in the Holy Spirit. He did all of this stuff on the cross. And all of this would be totally impossible without God. I'll tell you what. Paul, I'm a rich guy. I am one of the wealthiest people in Humboldt County. And do you know why? It's real simple. It's right in front of you. It's in the book. I know Christ. And Christ knows me. He substituted what was coming in my direction because of sin and stepped right in front of it on the cross and said, I'm taking your guilt, your punishment, the whole works, but I'm going to give you my fellowship, my forgiveness. I'm going to seal you with the Spirit of God. I'm going to give you a future and a hope and all of those other things that we taught. That's what Christ did. He did it for me. We literally have the resurrection power of God living in, in us. You know, sometimes I think in the last 20, 25 years, we somehow seem to have widened the boundaries of what it means to be a Christian. If any of the surveys, recent surveys, are only half right, then there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians and yet their lips betray that. The words they say cover that up. The walk and the lifestyle that they live suggests that they do not belong to God. They go together, you realize. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12 says this. There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes, yet it is not washed from their filthiness. James chapter 2, verse 19, sometimes people come running up to you and say, 
well, Pastor, I, I know the I, I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible's for me and all that's fine. James chapter 2, verse 19 says the devils believe and they tremble. At least the devils are smart enough to tremble. Matthew chapter 17, or 7, verse 17. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. The real test for our love of God is obedience to what he says, and that's always displayed in our daily walk. Always, without fail. So what happens when a Christian falls into sin? What do you do? First of all, you need to recognize that's a bad thing. This isn't some little, we play with words sometimes, don't we? Oh, it's a little sin. Little? Well, Jesus had a nail driven into his hand because of little sins. He had, <clears throat> he was beaten because of big sins. But sin is sin. And sin will keep you away from God. So we confess our sins. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a powerful verse. If I had 12 verses that I would say, Church, memorize these verses, that's one of them right there. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. Powerful, powerful verse. Psalm 19. Uh, again, I'm going to turn to that in my Bible, Psalm 19. Uh, this, is a, this speaks to us this morning along the same venue here. In Psalm chapter 19, and beginning in verse uh, 12 and 13, the Bible says this. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Now, hang in here with me just for a second. Keep back your servant from the presumptuous sins. There's two things here that pop off this page right here. Cleanse me from secret faults. You know what that means? It means cleanse me from sin that I didn't even know was sin. And I, I'm not, I thought about this quite a while last night. And I said, what is a sin that we didn't know was sin? And I come to the conclusion that, I'm, I, that I said, I'm not sure if there are very, very many. And I'm not sure if I could even name one. Cleanse us from sin that we didn't know was, know was sin. And then David goes on and says, cleanse me from presumptuous sin. Now here's what that means. David's saying, cleanse me from sin that I knew was sin, but I went ahead and did it anyway. Oops. David knew it was wrong to be with Bathsheba. He knew that. And he did it anyway. He knew that the blood of Uriah was on his hands. He knew that. A man died. He knew that baby that came as a result of that love affair that died. He knew that was sin. And the Bible goes on, if you read it, you look at a couple of the other songs. The Bible goes on. David says, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hide that. I'm going to just push that out of my mind. And for a year, David just kept shoving it in the corner, shoving it in the corner. God kept bringing it in front of him. 
and David would shove it away. <coughs> and I think it's in Psalm 34 where, uh, where David says, listen, for a whole year, my bones literally ached inside me. I couldn't sleep at night. I'd get up in the morning and that sin was in front of me. I'd sit down and have breakfast, that sin was in front of me. I had something, that sin was in front of me. Every, every time I turned around in this gigantic castle that I live in, that sin was in front of me for one year. Until David writes in Psalm 51, cleanse me, O God, and know my heart today. And literally, this is a man that powerfully, that literally breaks down and melts because sin had become so heavy in his life that he couldn't bear it anymore. And guess what God did? Did God come up to David and say, listen, Buster, I told you. I told you about this. Now, if you think you're going to get on the good side of me, think again. You're not. This isn't going to work out. What did God do? He forgave him. And forgiveness in God's eyes means that it disappears. In our minds, it doesn't always disappear that way. Sometimes we remember that. And we have to deal with that. We have to work through that. But God says, it's gone. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's how you have a soul that is well with God. I have two minutes to quickly wrap this up. How many think I can do that? I didn't think so. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is therefore. I have been justified with God, and that means that God took a sinful, ungodly person like me and made me whole, made me right. He did it. Now, there is therefore. Now is a time word. Now. It doesn't say this is going to work in the future. It says lay hold of God right now. You know, now is a very important word because, you know, listen. I'm saved now. The Bible says if you hear his voice, when? Now. Do something about it. We come into this church so many times and we get convicted in a message and we say, you know, you know, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to begin tomorrow. No, begin now. You know, Pastor, I'm going to, I'm going to quit, uh, I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to start tomorrow. What, do you want to get a running start on this thing or something? No, now. Start now. Now. It's not tomorrow. Don't give me that. 
We're going to start having family devotions on Monday. No, have, start today. Start today. Now, there is no condemnation. And then finally, I just said it, no condemnation. Nothing is left out. Romans has already told us. Donnelly, if you could come back, please, if you wouldn't mind. Romans has, always, has already told us what Jesus did on the cross and that the Holy Spirit has given you <coughs> the ability to walk in victory. But I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice something really important. It's in, it's in verse 2. I'm going to read it real quick. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus, and he has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is telling me this is something that has already happened and it's something that is continuing to happen in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, I am no longer a beggar, but I am rich toward God who is in Christ Jesus. I'm rich, I'm wealthy. I don't live in a cardboard box under a bridge. I don't live in bad stinky clothes because my name has been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I am set free. I am set free because God says so right here, right here, right now, today, this moment. I've been set free. You know what else it also says? It says I can start writing checks on that account. Why? Because there's something in that account. And when that gets, runs low, God fills it back up. God fills it back up. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, and have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse me from all of my sin. If I have a bad day, what happens? The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse me from all of my sin. I don't go back to square one. I stop. I say, God, I need you today. This didn't work for me. I've got to work differently. You see what I mean? This is good news for every one of us in this room today. It's like that large sum of money that's in your account, and you've been living in poverty, even though you had that large sum of money. It is not the fault of the bank, but God has provided you a long and large line of credit for every believer in Christ. <clears throat> and these assets are available today. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you today for all of the truth that you have crammed into about six or seven verses that we've looked at this morning. Father, I pray that this has been a, uh, this has just been something, uh, kind of a bell ringing type deal in many people's lives. People that just sort of, sort of kind of cruise along, cruise control. Not necessarily walking in great victory, but not necessarily walking in the wonderful, great grace of God. So, Father, today I pray that in each person in here, however it is that, need, that these truths need to be applied, I, I pray that right now that you, would, that you would cause that to literally sink in and lock in, in that person's mind, their heart, their spirit. Father, I pray that you would raise up a company of men and women out of this church that, that walk in great victory, that walk in the promise of God, that walk in the fullness of God. We are no longer beggars. We are no longer 
we're not, no, we have nothing here except we have Christ, and in him we have our own. Father, I thank you today. I, I'm praying for people maybe in the room today that really need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe they've been in church a lot and all of these things, and, and for that reason, they feel like they must be right with God, but they need Christ. They need Christ to come into their life, to forgive their sin. Father, if I need my sin forgiven, and David needed his sin forgiven, and Paul needed his sin forgiven, then so does, so does the rest of us. If that's you and I'm talking to you, pray with me right now. Pray these words in your, in your spirit and in your heart. Jesus, come into my life. Come in and be the Savior of my life. Set me free from sin. I believe in my heart and all of my heart on Christ and only Jesus for my eternal salvation. I thank you that he died for me on a cross and he rose from the dead. Today I accept him. I respond to him as the Savior and the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was thinking here, as uh, just as we were kind of winding up there, I, I thought, you know, sometimes people people will say this, and I, and I think they I think they say it with well-meaning. I'm not trying to be uh, have a critical spirit about this, but they'll say something. Well, Pastor, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, I I understand that, but you're a whole lot more than that. I think it was on like February 15th and. 1973, that's just a date out of the air. I was a sinner saved by grace. But on the 16th, I'm a saint living for God. Walking in the fullness of God. Walking with all of the benefits of heaven. Rolling into my life. Even though I didn't know a thing about it. That's why. Amen.